We're headed for the dog days, so we'll hound Jeff Erickson of Rotowire and Sirius XM next on Baseball HQ Radio. Robinson waits. Here comes the pitch. And there goes a line drive to left field. Swan is after it. He leaps it over his head against the wall. Here comes Gillian Stewart. Feet close together. Larson is ready. Gets the sign. Two strikes, ball one. Here comes the pitch. Strike three. Levels the bat a couple of times. Shall kicks and he fires. Rose Wayne. Turn it, turn it, get out, get out, in the air to deep center. Finley back, away back, on the track, at the wall, gone! A three-run home run for Scott Brocious. Scott Brocious might well be... The left-handers line. The 0-2 pitch on the way. Swag, it's over! He has done it! High fastball, Randy Johnson being mobbed by Scott Bradley down to greet him and the entire Mariner team here on the 2nd of June. It ends at 9.51 Pacific Daylight Time. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of July the 21st and show number 27 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Jeff Erickson of Rotowire.com and SiriusXM, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com. Our National League analyst, Harold Nichols, our American League analyst, columnist, Matt Beagle. Matt's also our Market Pulse commentator this week, talking about instinct versus evidence when you're looking for second-half bargains. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Arizona outfield prospect Alfredo Marte. And in his Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about how to stay engaged at this time of the season. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We're 10 days from the trade deadline. We gotta talk some baseball. And the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League. Then leading off, it's the National League Report. And our old friend, the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, it's Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. I guess the big news, Nick, this week in the National League is uh, John Axford, one of the most successful closers in the last couple of years in Milwaukee, is out of the role. Blue is sixth save. And at least temporarily, his job has been handed to Francisco Rodriguez, who has a pretty good track record, but uh, of the last couple of years, maybe not so great. What do you make of this? Well, you know, a good track record, and certainly Francisco Rodriguez can do the job. I mean, we're we're looking at a BPV of 62. We like to see 100 for a closer, but, you know, the guy has uh, the guy has saved a lot of ball games in his career uh, and, and probably is in pretty good shape skill-wise. Uh, uh, definitely still has some DOM, 8.7 DOM for the season, uh, decent control. So, uh, yeah, Francisco Rodriguez can do the job. I think there are a couple of things here to consider as you're looking at your waiver wire for the coming week. Um, one is that Axford probably is going to be back in that closer role sooner rather than later. Uh, I think this is just a temporary kind of thing to get him over a rough spot. Uh, the second thing is what may be happening is we may be seeing Francisco Rodriguez uh, being uh, – 
um, showcase for a possible trade. Uh, and so he may not be in the National League by the end of the week so or, or the end of next week. So a couple of things to think of as you look at your – uh, as you're uh, at the waiver wire and see what you think you might want to do in terms of Francisco Rodriguez. You know, something, Nick, that jumps out at me when I look at the statistical record at BaseballHQ.com on Francisco Rodriguez, over the last 31 days, he's he's had uh, 10.2 strikeouts per nine innings, which is excellent, Dom, but his control rate is 7.3 walks per nine innings, so his command ratio is well under two, and even uh, over the last few outings his command ratio is at two because he's striking out 14 guys and walking seven that's a lot of walks for a closer that's a lot of walks for a closer he's been walking way too many since he uh over the last month and um uh you know it's the kind of thing that causes the manager heartburn um but uh but his history says he that those will come back down who knows what's causing that right at the moment uh he's normally not that wild but here's a guy who, who probably uh, Probably should be around four walks per nine innings at least at this stage in his career. Well, I was just looking at the historical record as well. In uh, 2007 through 2009, 40, 62, and 35 saves, which looks terrific. And his control ratio in those years, four and a half, four and a half, and five. So because he struck out so many guys at that time, I guess he was able to pitch around those walks or maybe just pitch through those walks is a better way to put it. I I don't know. Uh, Doug Dennis has been covering bullpens for a long time at Baseball HQ, and his most recent column Nick is about uh, developing skills and and guys in the in bullpen roles that maybe could come into something. And one of the guys he looks at, left-hander Rex Brothers in Colorado. We like this guy. We like this guy a lot. I mean, here's a guy that really is worth looking at right now. Rex Brothers is is another guy with uh, like Rodriguez with a huge dom, eleven point nine dom per nine innings. Uh, but his his he's got some control problems. Walking about four per nine innings. Uh, so he still has to work on his control, although if you look over the last month, his control is uh, down to 1.4, so he's been doing considerably better. Um, right now, his ERA sits at 3.72, so he's a little bit under the radar, XERA of 3.08. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about Rex Brothers is, here's a guy who's a left-hander, and normally you think a uh, left-hander, well, now maybe maybe some problems with the closer. He has no problems with right-handers, so... Uh, Rex Brothers is a guy that eventually could be, especially in a keeper league, uh, very, very valuable. I think he's someone to tuck away at this point. Another reason to think that uh, is that with uh, the trade deadline coming up, the uh, closer in Colorado, Raphael Betancourt, and, uh, has been mentioned repeatedly as a guy who's uh, who's on the trading block because Colorado's really going nowhere. Maybe they can get something for him. So they're they're going to be... There's a chance that they're going to be looking at guys to, t- to take over as closer, and Brothers certainly has the skills. Right. Brothers simply has the skills that one would expect to, uh, one would hope to see in a closer. In the meantime, even if he's not closing games, he's going to get you some good results, maybe vulture a few wins, especially with that new uh, rotational system they have in Colorado, which is going to put more emphasis on those uh, middle relief guys late in games. Yeah, very definitely. If you look at Rex Brothers, he's got five five wins already this year, but three of those have come in the last month. So uh, uh, certainly one who could vulture vulture some wins down the road. That's important to, to think about because there are a lot of starters in the league all year this year who don't have five wins. So, uh, you know, it's not always the case if you are looking for wins that the way to go about it is to is to grab a poor starter who's going to get you as few wins as this guy with terrible, terrible peripherals to go with it. Uh, speaking of starters, uh, Ryan Vogelsong's an interesting guy uh, in San Francisco. Steve Nickrand says uh, sell high on, on Ryan Vogelsong. Why? You know, Ryan Vogelsong is doing it again. I mean, here we've got a guy with a 2.31 ERA, uh, looks as good as he did last year. His expected ERA right now is 4.02, so a, a good gap between that real ERA 
and that expected ERA. Uh, why fairly low DOM, six point five strikeouts per nine innings. Um, Getting along on a 26% hit rate, an 83% strand rate, a 7% home run for fly rate, all just uh, on the lucky side. So uh, certainly some it, it's the kind of thing where something could go wrong very easily for Ryan Vogelsong. And instead of a 2.3 ERA, you wind up with a 4 ERA between now and the end of the season. So I think he's a good guy to pedal at this point. Does have uh, seven wins. We just finished talking about Rex Brothers has five. Here's, here's Ryan Vogelsong, a good starting pitcher on a pretty good team. And uh, he only has two extra wins for all of those extra innings. But uh, uh, Ryan Vogelsong is also 34 years old. He doesn't have a real long track record at the major league level. Not a lot of uh, success anyway. Uh, there seems to be a lot of indicators here that maybe this is a good guy to sell high, don't you think? Yeah, I think very definitely. I mean, uh, we thought he was lucky last year. He's been just as lucky this year. Uh, that luck is going to run out sooner or later. Of course, there's the argument that uh, you know a guy who's supposedly lucky two straight years in a lot of innings, maybe it isn't luck after all. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And and finally, Stephen Nickrand, our BaseballHQ.com starting pitching columnist, also recommends a sell high on Ryan Dempster of the Cubs. Good Canadian boy. Uh, what's the problem with Ryan Dempster? Is it just something about guys named Ryan? Yeah, maybe so. I, you know, the problem with Ryan Dempster is the guy is looking right now like a like a uh, an elite. Uh, top-of-the-league sort of starter, 1.86 ERA, uh, the kind of guy who could bring the Cubs a lot in a trade deal. I could bring you a lot in a trade deal if you've got him in your league. And really, we're looking at, at a guy who's uh, a, a bit more uh, more modest, a 3.56 expected ERA. Uh, Dom is okay at 7.3, good control. Uh, but he's also been very lucky, a 25% hit rate, an 85% strand rate, a 7% home run per fly. Uh, all of these luck indicators are something that could change, and we're not saying that Ryan Dempster is not a good pitcher. He is. He's a very good pitcher, but he's not a 1.86 ERA pitcher, and that's the thing that you may be able to sell at this point, and that's the thing the Cubs are trying to peddle out there in the market right now. Well, certainly 1.86 is almost unsustainable for anybody. Um, uh, that's Bob Gibson territory with the tall mound. Uh, you know, Even if this was, I don't know, who's the best pitcher, Roy Halladay or somebody like that, uh, you'd have to suspect that 186 is not a sustainable level. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, that's certainly not something we expect for a starter to sustain over a long period of time. And so I think the uh, the chances that Dempster will sustain that over the rest of the season are very, very slim. Especially when you look at his historical record, Nick, the, for the last three years, his line drive rate has been going up and, and pretty remarkably 16, 21, 23 percent. At the same time, his ground ball rate is going down. And ordinarily, with, with his results getting better, you'd think that the opposite would be true. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, that's not a good thing. As, as an indicator, uh, line drives are more likely to fall for hits than, uh, than either ground balls or fly balls. So uh, certainly at some point, that low hit rate is going to turn around. 33% hit rate a year ago, 25% this year. Uh, he hasn't seen a hit rate this low uh, in any time in his major league career. So uh, we have to suspect that that's likely to change. Ryan Dempster, of course, has been rumored a lot as being on the trading block. Uh, no secret there. There's a lot of good National League pitchers, Nick, who are uh, rumored to be headed to, to different places. There very, very certainly are. A lot of good pitching out there, and uh, it's hard to see, uh, hard to know exactly what that will do to the market. I mean, it may be that uh, a lot of, of last-minute deals can, could, could happen as teams kind of wait to see what the market's going to bring. Uh, the other possibility, of course, is that we hear a lot of rumors every year about trades, and, and a certain number of them never happen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next week. The Cubs have said they'd like to move Dempster this week if possible so they can focus on moving Matt Garza next week. 
And and uh, over in Philadelphia, of course, Cole Hamels is the the jewel in the crown of the trade uh, deadline situation this year. But uh, you tell me that you've been seeing stories that Cliff Lee might be on the on the block as well. At least I've I've seen the story that Cliff Lee might be available for the right price. But of course, who knows exactly what the right price is? But uh, but you know, anything is possible. I think at this point in the uh, in the trade market. And one other guy we can't uh, leave off the list: Zach Greinke in Milwaukee. I think is. Uh, Probably a better than average uh, bet to end up somewhere else before the trade deadline hits. Yeah, I think so. Someone, someone again to keep your eye on as the uh, trade deadline grows grows closer. Interesting time of the year, and of course, the extra wild card and the playoff race is really affecting which teams are buyers, which teams are sellers, and which teams think they're one or the other and might not be. Nick, thanks very much. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. And maybe we'll have some actual trade news to report then. Very definitely. Maybe so by this time next week. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, Harold Nichols is the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move to the American League and BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to the show. It's going to be a royal recoil this afternoon. Uh, Royal Recoil. A lot of their fans probably recoil at the thought of going, but uh, I know exactly what you mean. We'll talk about some rebound candidates. But before we get going, how about the uh, big trade that was announced on Friday? Ten-player deal involving the Astros and uh, Toronto. Toronto gets three of them, but they get guys from the major leagues led by starter J.A. Happ. What do you think? Uh, Hap could be, he's a guy we haven't liked for a long time because he always had control issues, was never big, a big strikeout pitcher, but he's striking out 8.5 batters per nine innings and has a nice 2.5 strikeout to walk ratio. He suffered from a high hit rate at 33%. Um, so even though his surface stats is 145 whip and his 43 area don't look very good, here's a guy suddenly playing for a good team uh, who has some skills. His base performance value is 86, which is very good. Uh, using our standards, and certainly a, a lot higher than most people would think of for Jay Happ. He has a 15% home run for fly ball rate, so that could normalize as well. Uh, still had show with a long ball this year, one and a half homers per nine innings. If that normalizes a little bit, uh, which will be hard in Toronto, but hey, he's in Houston, also a hitter's park. Here's a guy who could have some upside if the Jays decide to put him in the rotation. Yeah, I was going to say, Houston, I know Toronto's a pretty good home run hitter's park, but Houston's a terrific home run hitter's park. He should benefit a little. On the other hand, he's going to be facing those sluggers in the American League East. Yeah, that's always a challenge, and that's why we're always skeptical. When you get pitchers in the American League East, you've got to be very, very careful. You have to think that uh, losing Francisco Cordero to Houston to get Brandon Lyon back to shore up the bullpen is a net gain for the uh, Blue Jays, though. I think it would be a net gain if they just lost Cordero, actually, <laughs> from the skills we've seen all year. But Lyon is another highly skilled pitcher. He's healthy again. Uh, his ERA is 325. That's about where he belongs. Uh, he does have a high hit rate this year, 34%, but also a high strand. And we know from your research, Patrick, that a high strand is not unusual. 78% is not that high for a reliever. The, uh, he's got a 3-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio, striking out nearly a batter per nine innings. So Lyon is a solid reliever. The only uh, danger zone here, a 44% fly ball rate, uh, and that's unusually high for Lyon. Historically, he is not a fly ball pitcher. He's very average pitcher, so an unusual uh, high fly ball rate for Lyon in 2012. But I think he'd be a, a valuable member of the pen now that he's healthy. And Toronto does focus their pitchers on ground balls. They coach that way, so maybe there's a little bit of upside there for Brandon Lyon as well. Any of the names that go to Houston jump out at you as a as a gain for them or a loss for Toronto? Boy, not really. I think that uh, I, I wouldn't put a lot of money on Cordero 
or on Ben Francisco, they're probably both likely to be flipped to somebody else because it's not really part of the Houston's rebuilding program. And the guys in the deep minors are, are not really on the top of the prospect list, so they're not real names that are going to make any kind of impact soon. So nothing really happened. It's interesting, Lyons coming back to the Blue Jays where he started, right? He came up as a 21-year-old with the Blue Jays. It's going to be uh, the first of many trades, I think, over the next uh, 10 or 11 days. Probably not as many as we uh, like to talk about. There never are, but uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Let's turn to the Kansas City Royals, uh, another lost year. They had such high expectations with that core of young rookie players coming in, and everybody thought maybe this is the time we're going to see something happen, and uh, not much is happening. And leading the parade probably is Eric Hosmer. We thought maybe this guy was uh, 300-bound, could be a 325-type guy. He's having a real bad year. He sure is. Uh, he's really been unlucky with his hit rate, only 25%. But we see some things to like here in Hosmer. He's become more patient at the plate, uh, increasing his walk rate to 8%, which is about league average, and also decreasing his strikeout rate, making more contact, 85% contact rate. His hard hit ball percentage has increased to 35%, which is very good. Uh, the only difficulty here is ground balls represent about 54% of his balls in play, and he's got to get that higher in the line drives and fly balls to develop some power and improve his batting average. The question is, do you think that can happen? I mean, the, it's a people think that half a season is a large sample. In fact, it's not a large sample. Uh, we've proved pretty conclusively that 300 at-bats, you can swing pretty widely and still be within the range of your normal production. So, if you were offered Eric Hosmer in a deal, is this the kind of thing where you say, yeah, I, I believe in this guy? I think so because all of his metrics except the ground ball rate are looking good. Uh, and he's still very young. He's shown he can do it before. He had an excellent year in 2011. And while he may not perform in the second half, I'd rather take a chance on Eric Hosmer than Will Myers if he's recalled, for example, because Hosmer's proven he can do it. Still only 22 years old, and he does have nine homers, and uh, that's not not so bad. And he does have nine stolen bases, which is really good for a first baseman. Yeah, he's quietly very productive. He stole a lot of bases last year, so he's one of those uh, silent guys that can compete in lots of different categories. Yeah, 11 bags last year. He's almost certain to surpass that. You know, it could be that Eric Hosmer could follow the track of Alex Gordon. Remember, Alex Gordon was a very high draft choice, I think second overall, and really struggled because of defensive problems and confidence problems. And he came back from the minor leagues and all of a sudden looked like what everybody expected all along. Uh, how's Alex Gordon doing this year? Well, he's really struggling out of the gate, and he's another guy that we think could be poised for a real good second half. He's increased his contact rate, increased his walk rate to 12%, which is far above league average. And the interesting thing with his stats, when you look at it, again, these are small sample sizes. But when you look at his whole body of work, we see only a 33% fly ball rate in the first half. But historically, he's always had a fly ball rate of at least 38%. So we would expect that over the larger sample size, his fly ball rate would regress to the norm. Also, his home run per fly ball rate is only 6% in 2012, but he's established a norm over the past three seasons of 12% home run per fly ball. So if that, again, regresses to the norm, we could see more fly balls and twice as many home runs per fly ball. So we could see a real power spike in particular for Gordon in the second half. He had 17 stolen bases uh a year ago, only three so far this year, and Kansas City is a running team. They have very little else. Uh, why, why do you think Alex Gordon has fallen off so badly in the speed department? 
I'm not so sure, but I, I this is a guy that you know when you're struggling, you know your mind wanders because you're pressing, and he's struggling, thinking he's doing better because he's striking out less, getting on base more. And I just think that you know, like we see players who are in slumps that don't field as well, sometimes when you're not getting on base as often, uh, you're frustrated and not focusing on that speed part of your game. The third member of the Kansas City Royals we'd like to talk about is Luke Hoshaver. And uh, this is a guy that everybody's been watching for a long time. He routinely pops up on sleeper lists in preseason discussions. And every year is going to be the breakout year. And we thought the same again this year. And once again, Luke Luke Hoshaver is disappointing us. He's, he's very inconsistent, typical of a young pitcher, although he's not quite as young anymore. But it was interesting. He had three uh, PQS zero starts, uh, three out of four, and then – last year and then he rolled reeled off seven out of ten that were dominant starts so this guy's very much up and down last year his expected era was much higher than his actual era so we expect him to have a better year this year and he's regressed uh, at least era wise his era is over five but actually his expected era is about four he's increased his strikeout rate to 6.6 batters per nine innings maintained about the same control for a 2.3 command which is his strikeouts to walks so here's a guy with a high hit rate, 32%, a low strand rate of 64%. That if they normalize, he could easily clip a run off that ERA and be usable in the second half. Do you worry at all about wins? Well, it, yes, somewhat, but he's in a weak division with a decent lineup. Again, if you have Hosmer and Gordon, two guys hitting, if Mustakas continues to produce, you know, it, the lineup could improve. And this is the kind of team that in the second half could get hot. You know, the Indians have, have been up at the top of the division, and they weren't expected to be there. They could regress. The Twins, we know, has been struggling as a franchise to perform. you got a, a lot of teams. The White Sox were not expected to be at the top of the division, and they're sitting there. You have a lot of teams that are beatable in that division in particular. So when you're operating in a weak division and you get hot, it's very easy to get hot with uh, not being in the AL East, as we mentioned earlier. In uh, Speaking of the AL East, uh, Tampa's – Man of all trades, Ben Zobrist, is having another good year that isn't showing up as quite as good a year as we might think. Yeah, his surface stats, again, are struggling, but he's walking at a higher rate than ever, 16%. And he's also increased his contact rate to the highest point he's ever had as a regular. He's increased his line drive rate, his fly ball rate, and that means more extra base hits and more RBIs. So all the skills are improving. You're just not seeing it in his batting average and power numbers yet. But if he can just maintain this high level of skill, he would be a great guy to expect to bounce back here in the second half. Yeah, I'm particularly struck by the fact that he's actually got his eye ratio over one. He's walking more than he's striking out, and that was never the case before. Uh, usually it was uh, somewhere well short of that, around 65, 67, 70, around there. And now he's well over 100. And and uh, when you see a guy who's controlling the plate that well and who is a good hitter, he runs well, he hits his fair share of line drives, it's really astonishing to see that his batting average is off 25 points from last year. It's really interesting, if anyone's done a study, is he's moving around positions a lot more this year due to injuries, particularly to Matt Joyce, and now he's going to be back at second base since Joyce is returning. Will that also help his offense where he has one position that he can focus on, sort of the same perspective every day instead of moving around? I always enjoyed moving around different positions, and some guys do you know, revel on that, but others really you know, want that routine and that consistency of being in one position every day. And now that Matt Joyce is back, Zobra should go back to second base um, 
and hold that position here for the rest of the year. Matt, Jamile Weeks last year looked really good. He batted 300. This year, he's uh, struggling a lot more. What's your take on Jamile Weeks of the Oakland Athletics? We told you at the beginning of the year he would not hit 300 again. But his, uh, his hit rate is about 9% lower than the 35%. He's 26% hit rate this year, 35% last year. So, you know, obviously a big batting average adjustment. But he's maintained the same contact rate, and he's doubled his walk frequency. His walk rate has doubled, so he's going to has a lot more stolen base opportunities this year. That has not translated into stolen bases, however, because he's getting the green light 12% less of the time. If he can maintain that walk rate and his hit rate corrects itself, um, and Oakland's out of the race, which are not quite out of it yet, but they you know should be here shortly. That's going to be more green lights for weeks to try to just rack up some stats here as the season winds down. And if anybody ever wonders about how uh, the batting average on balls in play, which we call hit rate, affects a player, you're, you mentioned that Jamal Weeks is walking more than twice as often as last year and pretty much d- demonstrating the same offensive batting average skills, and his on-base percentage is down 30 points. And that's strictly because he's just not finding the gaps. Absolutely, and there's a lot of different, there's lots of different factors, so there's some argument how how indicative is BABIP really? They're now that we've used it so much, people are starting to question it. Um, yeah, there's there's going to be holes in any statistic. No statistic is perfect. But when you have a huge swing like this, you can really pinpoint, as you just did, how much that really does affect the perception of a player's performance. He's not striking out any less. He's walking more often, but people think he's having a horrible year. And in fact, it's just a matter of you know the balls in play falling or not. Yeah, and we have to wonder if maybe the second time through the league, his second season, they're a bit better at defensive positioning, so they're maybe turning a few more of those batter balls into outs because they're well, doing we see well. That Mark Teixeira is a good example of that, who had a certain hit rate norm. Each player establishes his own norm, and now they're shifting on Teixeira. Uh, he is now having a lower hit rate each of the past several seasons and not achieving the batting average numbers he did when he was in Texas. So we've seen that adjustment, and you know the big question is, we can't quantify that. I think the next wave, and I just saw, oh, I think it was Ryan Howard that did that. No, it was Carlos Santana did it for the Indians. He's struggling. And they shifted on him. He laid down a bunt and beat it out. And I can't believe more players don't do that, especially if they're slumping or have a lefty-on-lefty matchup. Uh, you don't have to lay down a great bunt. Anything to the left side will do it. You know, we consider that a success. If a guy gets a single, he's happy. That's a successful outcome. He might rather have a homer, but a single's okay, especially if you're behind. And in this situation, the Indians were down by three runs. So getting on base is the important thing at that point. And by doing that, all of a sudden, next time up, the Rays had to shift their third baseman over closer to the bag to defend that. And that already gets now the defense having to adjust their shift because of what you've done offensively. And I'm surprised more hitters haven't done that. I mean, Carlos Santana is no speedster. Uh, He just took advantage of a situation, and I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, to make the defense adjust out of that shift or pay the price. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I'm mystified why more guys don't do that. David Ortiz did start doing that this year. He started not bunting, but just sort of laying the bat on the ball and poking it out in the general direction of the left side of the infield, picks himself up an extra 10, 15 hits a year. All of a sudden, he's a 300 hitter, and they have to start playing him more fairly, which allows him to then go back to to trying to smack the ball and pull it. Absolutely. I think it's pride that gets in the way that these home run hitters pride themselves on hitting the ball over the fence so the defense doesn't matter. And it's a matter of them realizing, you know, maybe if you're up three to one, who cares? But if I'm down three to one, they need me to get on base. And, uh, you know, my 
slight chance of hitting a home run, my 5% chance of hitting a, I mean, a 300 homer guy, 600 at bats, oh, sorry, 30 homer guy, 600 at bats, that's only 5% of the time he's going to get a home run. Whereas a bunt down the third baseline, I might succeed 30% of the time. The team needs me on base so the next guy can hit the homer more than they need me to hit that that solo homer. Hey, let's face it. If if they're playing an exaggerated shift like they do against some of these guys, a, a successful bunt anywhere near third base is a hundred percent of the time going to be a hit. Exactly. All I have to do is get it fair and get it on the ground, and and that's not that hard. They may not have practiced it, but as guys, you know, Dave Ortiz is a great. He's an older guy that's learning a new trick. And I mean, this happens in football all the time. The the offensive coordinator makes his calls adjusted to the defense, and defense adjusts, and then the offense readjusts. And I think we're going to see more of that here. Uh, as people study the numbers and what that shift really means that, you know, Mark Teixeira should be laying down a few bunts. He's got good back control. He can do it. And that will help make them adjust the shift or you have to keep continuing giving up hits. And sooner or later, there's going to be situations where they don't want to do that. Then they have to adjust their shift to know that he can put the ball on the ground and beat it out. And Matt, before we let you go, uh, breaking news of a sort on Friday afternoon, uh, the Colorado Rockies have traded Jeremy Guthrie to those Kansas City Royals, and uh, they get back left-hander Jonathan Sanchez, who's had a terrible year. Well, Sanchez is pretty much a lost cause. I I think he just cannot find the strike zone, never has been able to. Uh, Guthrie has experienced success in the past, and going from Colorado, which is a notorious offensive park, uh, then moving to Kansas City, which is a pretty pitcher-friendly park, Really could be a boon to him. He's really been shuffled back and forth between the rotation uh, and the bullpen, so it could help him be reasonable. Uh, he's been very unlucky in his hit rate and strand rate this year. He's certainly not going to be somebody who's going to be useful in most mixed leagues, but if you're in a deep AL-only league, you could take a shot. Uh, bad strikeout-to-walk ratio of only 1.5. They give up lots of homers. Um, but, you know, a lot of this game is mental. And knowing that you have a more spacious park behind you gives you the confidence to pound the zone a little bit. And, uh, you know, that could be the difference for some pitchers. They like pitching in those types. I mean, everybody likes to pitch in those environments if you're a pitcher. But it can take a guy who's basically a a discard and make him usable uh, with that confidence. All right, Matt, you have your Market Pulse commentary later in the show. What are you talking about this week? It's weighing that balance between the instinct that you have on a player versus the evidence that they'll actually perform a certain way. It's a behavioral battle that you have to think about all the time when you're building your team and making trades. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you again in a week. Look forward to it, Patrick. Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Jeff Erickson of Rotowire.com and SiriusXM comes up next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! What a play by Wise! Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! Baseball HQ Radio.
And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David here. Pleasure now to be joined by Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Great guy. Jeff, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Glad to be back. This time it's uh, better circumstances for my Towers team at the very least. I was going to ask, how are you doing in your leagues? I'm third, uh, vastly between third and fourth pretty much now. Uh, Mike Trout cures a lot of ills. Well, we'll be talking about Mike Trout a little later, but yeah, he's having some kind of start. Yeah, uh, and it helps when you get him for four bucks. That was like the one thing I got right. That and Robbie Cano started being Robbie Cano again, so I can compete. You know, I think we talked in late April, and I think he had one home run at the time, and since then he's been just fine. Yeah, and of course that's the lesson, isn't it? A guy like Robbie Cano, you cannot panic because you know that sooner or later he's going to come around and uh, quality players do and and you just got to be real patient and if you're on the other side of it that it's a real chance when a guy like Cano or Pujols to a lesser extent gets off to a slow start it can be a real buying opportunity if his owner happens to be one of those impatient guys who says it's four weeks in and he only has one home run I have Cano in my Tout Wars mixed team and I'm finally out of the cellar I've been working like working like a dog <laughs> Exactly. Hey, keep keep trying, keep working at it. You never know. And that's the danger of stars and scrubs a little bit too. Is that the stars fail to be stars? It, it, it kind of leaves you looking exposed. At least until some of your uh, some speculative plays work out. Sometimes they do. Sometimes you know you, you get you get some lucky you get some lucky pickups uh, when you do that. It affords you the opportunity to to bid more. I think because when you do, I wasn't really doing fully on stars and scrubs, but I was doing it. You know, it was kind of modified in that direction. You know, let you fab a lot of guys. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes you get a uh, $1 Elliott Johnson that gives you 13, 14 stolen bases. And, hey, that, that's a little gift. you got to take it. My Tout Wars strategy going in, because it was a mixed league, Jeff, was uh, an extreme stars and scrubs because of the depth of the pool, especially with starting pitchers and outfielders. And it didn't work out the way I hoped, but mostly because I got Pujols, who had a, has had not had a Pujols type of year. Uh, and I had Evan Longoria, which I thought was a fairly safe bet at third base, and of course he's spent most of the year on the DL. And then my pitchers, uh, I thought I did well getting uh, um, a couple of guys who ended up not doing well. Ubaldo Jimenez comes to mind. Uh, Corey Lubke got hurt. You know, the, these things happen. Uh, uh, Matt Garz has been okay. Uh, but uh, Jeff, we're heading towards the trading deadline in Major League Baseball, and I'm wondering if you've seen any trades coming down the pike that could have significant effects for fantasy players. Well, you have to figure that the Cubs are going to be active. Ryan Dempster seems like the most likely of the two starting pitchers to be traded. Seems like starting pitchers are almost always in demand, too. Uh, but Dempster and Garza are two of the big names. What the Phillies do is obviously going to be huge. Are they going to have, you know, are they going to really admit that they're not uh, competing this year? Are they going to try to make a, a desperate play to you know, come back in the race? Now they've got everybody healthy. And what does that mean for, like, the likes of Cole Hamels? I'd have to think Shane Victorino is almost as good as gone. Uh, he's a free agent at the end of the year. They pretty much suggested that he's not going to be back next year. So, if the, I, I think he's more likely to get dealt than Hamels, but we'll see. You know, teams sometimes get stubborn. Witness the Houston Astros for the longest time and all their attempts to make comebacks in the second half of the season. A couple times when they actually did pull it off, other times where they had near misses. But you know, and then we see the Cardinals last year too. You can see these examples of teams being able to come back. So it's going to make it harder for some of these teams to dump. But I really do think that those are a couple of the guys that could go. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice. I, I'm a trade junkie, Patrick. I want to see some of these trades happening in soon, cross-league if, if possible. What about uh, closers who might be on the move? Uh, do you see any opportunities for number two guys in bullpens because the closer gets dealt? Yeah, you could see that happening. I haven't heard a whole lot of specific buzz, but then again, my my ear isn't the closest to the ground. There's others that report the rumors better than me. Uh, but, you know, you would think that Houston Street would have to be made available for the Padres. Raphael Betancourt 
should be made available by the Rockies. In fact, the Rockies should, you know, should make almost everyone besides, uh, Tulewitzki, Cargo, and Rosario available. But, uh, you know, that, that, that situation that they're in. But, you know, so guys like Rex Brothers and Mapple in Colorado, the, the, the tricky part here is sometimes Patrick with all these, uh, close or trade rumors, though, is identifying the next guy. Sometimes it's not that so simple. I just mentioned two guys in Colorado. Brothers came into a situation earlier this week against Pittsburgh, against the lefty and Pedro Alvarez, you know, two on and one out. Couldn't get the job done against Pedro Alvarez. First pitch he threw, he knocked it out. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's not a good trial run for him as a potential closer. I'm also looking at Jonathan Broxton in Kansas City. Uh, he's not the greatest guy in the world, but certainly uh, an established closer is having a pretty decent year, which might set things up for Greg Holland, among others. Yeah, Holland, but it, again, it's not clearly identifiable because Holland has walked more guys in, 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 this year than in the past, although most, much of that was earlier in the season when he was, uh, you know, before he got hurt. But, you know, there's him, there's Kelvin Herrera still kind of interesting in that bullpen, too. Yep. And some people even, uh, Aaron Crow even has his backers, too. So it's, sometimes the guy who we think is the closer and waiting it doesn't end up being that way. So it's, it's like the Yankees, for instance. We, a lot of us thought that David Robertson was going to be the guy to get the job. Soriano took the ball and ran with it. Then Robertson got hurt. And now we're, at, we're here, here we are, and it's, you know, Soriano's pretty much locked in. Hey, over in Seattle, they have a couple of guys. Uh, Will Helmson's done well despite having a, a checkered past in me at the major league level. And uh, Brandon League is pitching very well again, so maybe one or the other of those guys could be dealt by the Mariners for something because they're both reasonably well-established guys. And if it's Will Helmson, we've got to believe that League's going to get the ball, but they have options too, uh, Prior, for instance. Yeah, but I don't think that uh, Will Helmson's going to be – I don't think – I see the motivation for them trading him. He's cheap. He doesn't have much service time. Unless it's a, a clearly from their mindset of selling high and, and on his value, that'd be the only reason, you know, I'll like Billy Taylor and the and the, the A's back in the day. But for the most part, you know, he, there's no real incentive for the Mariners to sell him off. So I, I would be surprised if he gets traded. Huh, I was going to say that uh, closers are made, not born in a lot of instances, and just giving the guy the role. This is something that you mentioned, Billy Taylor, but later on Oakland made something of a habit of developing closers seemingly for the express purpose of de- dealing them at the deadline and then getting another guy up and saying, you're now your your turn, and then dealing him a year later. So I wonder if that might be uh, something that they're planning. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, Jeff, some leagues allow teams to roster or reserve Major League Farm players in the expectation that maybe they'll work out into something. Do you see any impact players who might get a call-up relatively quickly, not just in September? Yeah, I think what you're going to see is a wave of guys get called up after the uh, trade deadline passes. I think the most obvious guy that we're all waiting for is Will Myers in Kansas City. I think uh, he's proven everything he needs to do at the AAA level. Uh, It's just a question of where are they going to create room for him to be able to play. Theoretically, Jeff Francoeur is on the block. I don't think he's going to be an attractive trade trade commodity because of that contract because he signed through next year, uh, but same time they still have to find a way to make uh, room for him to play Lorenzo Kane finally came off the DL he's starting to play and play well a little bit in center field right now so I don't think they're too eager to pull the trigger on him so that means that they got to go elsewhere so what are your options it's pretty much bench or trade Frenchy because uh, they're not going to trade I don't think they're going to get rid of Alex Gordon so it's just a question of creating that playing time for him there um, but I, I think he's the obvious guy I know a lot of people have been waiting on Danny Holton although that transition to AAA hasn't exactly been that smooth so far Looking at it, that that walk rate in particular, it seems a little scary. But there's a few guys like that littered throughout. Uh, some of the guys that we thought, though, at the beginning of the year, 
that we're going to be uh, getting that call. I mean, they, they really have kind of shown that they're not ready. Two guys that come to mind, Nolan Arenado in Colorado uh, and Shelby Miller in St. Louis, neither of these guys have really made the case for a quick call-up. Uh, Miller in particular really didn't. You know, the guy that I'm really curious about is Billy Hamilton of the Reds. Guy's well over 100 bags now at, at the halfway point of the AAA, well, a little past halfway in AAA, and uh, AA I think he's actually playing. But, uh, you know, you could see the Reds maybe getting a spark out of a, a guy like him, just bringing him up as a pinch runner and uh, occasional defensive replacement. Maybe they have to move him to center or something like that. What do you think about Billy Hamilton maybe getting an early call? I'm a Reds guy. You know that, Patrick. And yep. I don't like the idea, to be honest with you. I don't think he's ready. Uh, he just got moved up to double A. I know it, it's enticing. That, that speed is so tantalizing, but he's not going to start at shortstop over Zach Cozart. I, I don't think he's going to really play anywhere else in the outfield. So he's pretty much a glorified Herb Washington that we're talking about here. Uh, and, you know, that's, if I guess, is from tactical purposes late in games, that's useful. But I don't really like starting the, the, the service time, in the Major League Service Time clock on that, the option years on that, because they have to add them to the 40 man roster, I think. I, I got to double check on that. But, uh, you know, point being is, I, I just, I, I don't think he's ready. If he's on the 40 man, it's a little bit different. Uh, but I don't think he's there just yet, and I have to double check on that. What do you read into Anthony Goh, speaking of guys who can really run, getting the call to replace Jose Bautista rather than Travis Snyder, who's been really raking in uh, AAA Las Vegas? What I make out of that is that they hate me because I own Travis Snyder in Town War, so that's why, even though, but no. Uh, Ghost is a different type of player than Snyder, so that's part of the issue there. Um, that, you know, he, he's a better defender at this point in time. He's not a power hitter nearly as much. In fact, you know, I, I think Snyder's got 150 OPS points on him so far. All, all numbers coming in Vegas, he had to take that with the appropriate filter. But, you know, Snyder's done the one thing that they asked him to do offensively. He's been a lot more patient at the plate. He's walked a ton more than he ever has in the past. So I'm kind of curious. I was actually speculating on on Twitter the other day why they were doing that. And I think there's a lot of Travis Snyder's owners out there like me that are just waiting for this, you know, for, you know, for him to get the call. I'm still holding on to him. I'm stubborn. I think something will give at some point, be it a trade. Be it, you know, they, they want to give up on, you know, maybe Rajai Davis, they give up on at some point in time. Uh, Davis just ended a big slump uh, this week against the Yankees. So maybe they'll go that route. But, <coughs> you know, I, I think Snyder's done pretty much everything he can do at AAA at this point. Speaking of DLs, not exactly a shocking development, but Jed Lowry of the Astros is back on it, and it looks like the Astros are not really married to Marwin Gonzalez as their answer at shortstop. Do you see any opportunities here, Jimmy Parides, uh, Brett Wallace with some juggling? Uh, I would think even Brian Bixler, maybe, who got got a little bit of run earlier, but you know, he came in the game and replaced Lowry on the day he got hurt. You know, this one's a bummer to me uh, because uh, I have Jed Lowry everywhere. I, he was one of those guys qualified in multiple positions. He's getting that full, full, the first full-time chance. He's been slumping a little bit lately, but still, uh, good power for shortstop. And as you've seen, what's happened with the shortstop position this year, a guy that gets you double-digit homers is, is pretty valuable. Uh, you know that, uh, especially, possibly up. He could have had upwards of twenty. Now he's out four to six weeks. I think it's going to be a hodgepodge of guys. Uh, you know, you know. Matt Downs is getting playing time at first base a little bit. They're using uh, Scott Moore. And in fact, they're doing everything they can to assiduously avoid Brett Wallace right now, it seems like. So, I don't know. Um, I, I think you know, maybe Paredes eventually will get a, get a shot, is a little bit of a peak in that picture. Don't forget they also uh, acquired Matt Dominguez in the Carlos Lee trade. Maybe he'll get another shot at the major level. He's briefly up. Uh, so maybe, you know, they have a lot of moving parts. 
Right now, they're not scoring any runs at all. So they've got the freedom of lack of, you know, they got the freedom from no expectations. So they can do a lot of different things. Yeah, when you called it a hodgepodge of guys, I thought that pretty much describes that whole roster, doesn't it? Uh, it does. It yeah. does. And you know what, though? This is, this is much like the Cubs. This was the plan all along. You know, you know sometimes you see it. You know, I've, I've, I've been following all the Cubs writers, and they're astounded by just how bad the Cubs were at their at their depth. You now they're better now, but um, but this was the idea. And yeah, it's, it's it's one thing to pay lip service to saying they're going to rebuild, but rebuilding is painful. It, it, it's necessarily painful, and you have to go through the throes of trying out who's going to work out, who's not going to work out. And you have to be patient with it. You can't just go for two weeks and say, "Oh, it's not working," and give up the ghost. No, you have to go with it for. Months on end. You you really need to see if you're going to give these guys a shot. You need to give them a shot. Do you think the same thing is true in fantasy? There's lots of teams in keeper leagues that go through that build and bust cycle, and do they have to do the same thing? Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, you know, it, it, it's we always talk about buy low, sell high. I think at the the big league level, but these ultra leagues, you know, you want to do that at the prospect level too. You want to take a chance on the Dominic Browns of the world while their cost is so low. Sometimes they become Alex Gordon again, and they get you know they get that chance, and they finally cash in. So go buy, go buy him right now. Go buy Mike Montgomery right now if you can. I mean, you know, you can get the, the price is super cheap. You typically want to do that with upper level prospects and not guys like Donovan Tate at the lower level. But at the same time, you know these these are something. You know, the, this gives an opportunity for you. You just because yeah, it'll be sometimes you have financial penalties for finishing lower in the standings. But if you've committed to rebuilding, do it. Go all in in the rebuild process. Don't do half measures. Talking about buying high and selling low, let's talk about Mike Trout. Do you think Mike Trout's performance is for real? And if it is, how real is it? I think it's mostly real. I don't know about 330, but, you know, I think the speed, and I don't think anybody doubts the speed, right? I think the power, I think some people, you know, we saw some of that coming a little bit. Uh, maybe, you know, the thing is that he's hit the ground running so much this year. You know, that's, that's the amazing thing. What I want to know is what people are going to do if they're drafting next year. T- say you're in a snake league draft, where does he go? I, I you know, I was talking with, an, I play in the NFBC, and I was talking to a couple different people. We think he's probably going to go in the top ten next year. I don't know if I'm willing to pay that price just yet, but if you want him, that's what it's probably going to take to get him. Where, where would you take him, Patrick? I would not take him in the top ten because I just think performance risk is is too high. You you like the bags? I I don't. I like the I like the package. But I had a batting buyer's guide at baseballhq.com this week that caused a lot of uh, heartburn amongst many of the trout owners in the in the audience because I said this is a great time to sell Mike Trout oh, in a keeper league because you know the 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 media expectations and the performance level that he set for himself are so high that he almost can't live up to him. And if you can find somebody who thinks that this guy is going to be some kind of Robbie Alomar, Ken Griffey Jr. hybrid of power and speed, the chances are that he's not. He doesn't walk a lot. He doesn't make great contact. I think the 330, batting average is completely a mirage. You know, I think probably what you're looking at for a career is maybe 285 with 20 home runs a year, 30, 35 bags declining or down to that level. I'd sell them if I could, if I got a good offer, because I bet you there's there's owners out there who would give you a mountain of talent for this one guy. It would take a mint. That's the thing. And I think a lot of it depends on whether it's a standard draft keeper league or whether it's an auction keeper league. That adds another element. And we have a staff league, a Rotowire, 18-team mixed league. I have him as a $3 player in his first year of his contract. I draft him as a minor leaguer. And I don't have to make an option in year decision on him until after the 2013 season. And then the salary escalator is $5 per year that you sign him to. So 
I, I, it'd be hard to imagine an offer that I would, you know, it, it would take it. You know, you, you realize, how, and we have an in-season salary cap, too, so you realize just the extent of what it would take to get him off my hands. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, that was one of the objections in the comments field at BaseballHQ.com when I wrote this thing is that, you know, I have, him for, I have him for eight bucks for the next four years. Why would I trade him? Well, maybe you wouldn't. You know, I mean, of course, it's a lot different depending on the context of your league. My only point was there's if you're going to entertain the idea of selling a guy, this you couldn't ask for a better time to do it because oh, agree a lot of risk. Absolutely agree with you there, and... It's just, and you have to realize your league. I mean, the, the fact is, you would have to get another killer keeper back in return. In my case, to get him, to, to deal him, because because especially with our in-season salary cap, uh, and you'd have to be absolutely certain that this would put you, this trade would push you over the top. That you'd get so much talent in return that you know that you'd win this year. That, I mean, that that's the parameter that you'd have to pretty much set to be able to to, to pull the trigger on that trade. Um, it's, it can't be just merely a good offer. It has to be like blow you away sort of offer. But if and that and that that's true, and my point was, if anybody's ever going to attract that kind of offer, yep, it's probably Mike Trout hitting three fifty with you know thirty home runs and seventy. Absolutely agree. Let's uh, move on to a couple of pitching topics that have come up recently at the Major League Baseball level. First uh, week or so ago, what did you make of the Rockies' plan when they announced they're going to go with two man tandems to open their games with seventy five pitch counts and a four man rotation? Yeah, I thought that had been pretty much debunked at the minor league level, let alone the major league level. You know, I, I, we we did charge them out, and I think it, I did it with Jonah Carey that week because uh, Liz was on vacation, and you know he brought up a good point. It, it w- w- they're not they're the wrong team to try to do this because they don't. Ha- you want to do this where you want to have these these four man rotations, maybe not necessarily the diminished pitch count, but you want to have the four man rotations when you have four elite starters and a shaky fifth. You don't want to do it when you have. Yeah, you know, all all sorts of shaky starters. Uh, it right. almost guarantees that you tax your bullpen even farther. Um, so from that standpoint, it's I think it's it was it's an interesting thought process. It's tough to transition in the middle of the season. I don't know if they have the right personnel for it. All these things apply. You also have to give you know. Speaking, of, we go back to our patience discussion. The Rockies are like guilty of this as anybody in baseball about not being patient. Look what they did with Alex White. How many outings did he have before they decided he's not ready for this? Yeah. You know, and then tra- you know half of his outings were under normal rotation, half under this four-man rotation with shortened uh, outings. It just it, the execution was really poor on this here. You just you got to give it some time. I agree entirely. I think the idea has merit if they can figure it out, especially if you got guys like Jeff Francis uh, who, you know, does okay the first couple of times through the lineup and then starts to fall apart. Maybe if you can get him out, he becomes more effective. If you've got two of those guys, you can kind of tag team that, uh, you know, that they can sneak through the lineup twice before, you know, they tire or whatever the case might be. I think it has merit, but I agree with you that you you got to have the personnel, four-man rotation, five-man rotation, six-man, whatever you're doing, you got to have pitchers. And if you don't have pitchers, it ain't going to work. I don't care how you organize it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this dates back to last year, too, uh, how they handled Drew Pomerantz. Uh, I think he had four games at double A, and they, you know, coming back off of an injury and decided to bring him right up to the major level in course field. You know he's he's had his glimpses of glory this year. He's a good looking pitcher, but man, I mean this is it's just so scattershot how they make how they decide to use these guys. Uh, and this has been the Rockies' way under Jim Tracy for a while. I mean, you can see how he's managed some of his closers. You can see how he's handled uh, you know Ian Stewart at third base. It turns out that that wrist injury was far worse than they we ever ever knew about that. 
potentially gave up a pretty decent asset there. We'll, we'll never know. But, uh, you know, next year it's going to be an interesting decision for the Cubs, you know, whether they uh, give Stewart another chance or give Josh Vitters a chance. But point being is the Rockies often don't know what they have because they never they, they play the hot hand thing too much. What do you think about the Washington Nationals pitching coach, Steve McCaddy, saying uh, he was quoted as saying he thinks strikeouts are BS and he'd rather his pitchers pitch to try to induce weak contact and pitch deeper into games, be more efficient. What do you think of this? Sounds great if you can do it. But, you know, it sounds kind of wish-casting too, right? I mean, hey, I just want like to pitch only the weak contact, not the strong contact. But, no, I, I, get, the, I get to his general point that, you know, you don't want pitchers pitching or the strikeout every time, chances are maxing effort a little bit more often and not going in deep in the games. I get the idea behind it there. A lot of that is also directed at the whole talk of, you know, Zimmerman under the innings cap last year, Strasburg under the innings cap this year. You know, there, there's something to that, right? Uh, so it, there's a context underneath it there, too. Um, so I, I can see why I'd want to encourage that a little bit more. Yeah, I did a quick research uh, study because this came up in the BaseballHQ.com forums, and if you find all the starters who have kind of, I think I use 10 starts as a as a minimum requirement, and you find uh, the high strikeout guys are less efficient. They they use more pitches to get a, a given number of outs, and I used, I created a metric called uh, how many outs do you get per 100 pitches thrown, and all the leaders are guys, uh, a couple of Washington guys, in fact. Clay Detweiler was the most efficient guy in the majors by that measure, and uh, Gio Gonzalez and Strasburg were way down near the bottom because of all the strikeouts that you got to throw a lot of pitches to get them, and, and uh if I was Steven Strasburg's owner, and more importantly, I think if I was Steven Strasburg, I'd be listening to anybody who could tell me how I could get the same 100, 105 pitches, get me uh, seven and a third innings instead of five and two thirds on a consistent basis, and maybe extend my career for you know two or three years at 15 or 18 million bucks a year. Yeah, like I said, like you said, it's it's nice in theory. It's just the execution of that that's kind of interesting. But I'll tell you one guy where it's worked out pretty well, and it doesn't always work out that well. But Johnny Cueto on the Reds, I I kind of yep. tend to believe what he's doing is for real. Uh, you know, it flies in the face of you know what we've been trying to analyze. You know, we look at the Babbitt numbers, we look at the strikeout rates. Uh, but the one thing about Cueto is he's done a better job keeping the ball in the ballpark in that ballpark, which is a launching pad, as we well know. Uh, his walk rate is lower, and I think these are metrics that do point in his favor. I think he has made a conscious effort of trying to be more pitch efficient. He used to be one of those guys that throw 100 pitches through five innings. He's a lot more efficient now. Yeah, and you know, the the last few years, John Farrell, formerly in Boston, now in Toronto, has seems to have been leading that way. Henderson Alvarez was a fairly high strikeout guy, and they really tamed that or brought it under control to try to get him deeper into games with good results early on mixed results this year to say the least uh, a couple of other guys uh, clay buchholz used to be a fairly high strikeout guy and they kind of tamed him down to try to get him deeper into games again with mixed results i don't know i i think the uh there's going to be a philosophical problem because a lot of pitchers come up and they get to be the you know the star of their traveling team. They get to be the star of their high school team. They get to be the ace of their college team, and they get a lot of money at the draft because they're knocking down 14 guys a game uh, per nine innings, striking them out. So I mean, you got to start convincing guys earlier than by the time they hit Double A that this is their path to success. I yeah, think. one other thing on that thought too. I mean, we've seen in this game in the game of baseball in the last two or three years, in a heightened emphasis on defense to the point of uh, overshifting a lot more often. 
uh, maybe constructing a roster as a more of a defensive-friendly uh, setup there. Does not apply in Detroit, by the way. Uh, but in those cases, that that goes hand in hand. You know, if you're going to do a pitch to contact, pitch to weak, you know, emphasize that. Well, hey, you better have some good defense behind you. The Reds are an excellent defensive team. The you know the Rays prior to all their injuries were an excellent defensive team. Not so much with everybody playing out of position right now, but you know that that's got to go hand in hand, and that's why it's also you know you get a pitch to contact guy like Rick Porcello, Rick Porcello in Detroit. You put that defense behind them, and it's, you, you can see the results. It's pretty disastrous there. Uh, you had a you know a game earlier this year when Brandon Inge was playing second base, where he just completely it, 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 his his error led to a lot of other bad pitches. In, in you know, Porcello is mostly to blame, but it started this spiral there, where there was you know one big error led to a whole lot of other bad things happening in that inning against Texas, and you know that that will happen, I guess, uh, uh, more often than not. And I think Porcello is one guy that's really ill-suited for the team he pitches for. Yes, he is. Uh, it seems like they'd be a lot better off building a really good flyball pitching staff with that gigantic park and Austin Jackson out there. And, yeah, and now to Barry, find. too. Instead yeah. of, Quentin Barry instead of Delman Young. That's a will, Or Ryan Rayburn, for that matter. Right. Um, you know, you know, it's funny that Rayburn gets this, uh, fly, you know, this, this label as being a guy that uh, can play a lot of different positions. Yeah, he can play a lot of different positions poorly. But uh, he's not a good outfielder either. But uh, yeah, getting Barry out there would be a big difference, that's for sure. What did you make of Arizona's weird approach to Justin Upton? This guy's a, a great player, and they're just treating him like uh, they can't wait to get rid of him. Well, i got to imagine there's a behind-the-scenes sort of thing going on there a little bit. You know, maybe there's a, a, per, a, you know, a bad personality fit. You know, it, it's easy to paint this because of you know, the you know, sins of his brother a little bit there, too. But yeah, I'm with you. I think this is this is you know stemming all the way back from uh, Ken Kendrick's comments, which were just awful, awful you know to deal with there. I think Upton had that thumb injury early on in the season that's affecting him. I don't know if it's bothering him right now. It might all be in his head at this point in time. But my goodness, I want my team trading for Justin Upton right now. If I'm the Pittsburgh Pirates, I trade Garrett Cole for him straight up right now. No problem. I, I would do that without without a second without hesitation, it, especially because Upton's control for that. I think the next four years, if I'm not mistaken, because I contract three or four more years. And a guy at that you know, approaching his prime age, yeah, I'll take that chance. It's rare that you get a talent like that. I, I think, and maybe Arizona's just trying to see what sort of things are out there, but I, yeah, the fact that, the fact that his name has been buzzing so much in trade rumors is just, you know, it, it's boggling to me. Yeah, me too, and I'd, I'd do Garrett Cole straight up for him too, because Garrett Cole is... He's wild. He's he's inexperienced. You just never know with pitchers. His elbow could fall apart day after tomorrow. And uh, Justin Upton and, and McCutcheon, even though McCutcheon I think is overperforming somewhat, but uh, it'd be a nice middle of the order tandem and a fantastic outfield. Yeah, and not to mention they have the ready spot available for him there in one of either corner outfield spot. I mean, it's a perfect fit. But uh, yeah, as, as a Justin Upton owner, I. I own him in a couple leagues, including FBC. I don't know if I want him to trade to Pittsburgh because of the park effects, but I'm kind of wondering if that relationship has soured so much there that, that that's part of the problem, that he needs to get out from the franchise, even though that ballpark would be so good for him. Yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag for sure, but you you definitely don't want an unhappy player. Uh, speaking of unhappy players, uh, Jeff, the Red Sox have more than their share lately. There's rumors swirling around, but they recently activated Jacoby Ellsbury and Carl Crawford. Dustin Pedroia is probably only a few days away from rejoining the club and, and playing. Clearly the Red Sox look like they're poised for a run. They did pretty well for a team that had so many key players missing, and uh, that'll be interesting to watch the race. But how do you like these three guys for fantasy, given the injury question? 
Well, Pedroia, I, I own a couple places, and I'm nervous because of the type of injury. You know, some hand, wrist, all that sort of stuff. You, you know, it affects how they grip the bat, how hard, you know, how strong their grip is, and all that. Usually, there's effects to the to their results after they come back, even before, after they're act, activated. So, I'm a little nervous about that. I think I'm most bullish about Ellsbury of the three, then Crawford, then Pedroia. Uh, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Pedroia lights it up. I hope it's like last year where he had that examination, got the bill of health, and he's, you know, had that peace of mind. He was good to go. You know, I'm a little nervous about him though. Still, uh, I, I don't think you'll see him sliding head first too often. I don't think yeah he'll be hitting for too much power. So we'll see. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio with Patrick Davitt and Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com and SiriusXM. And, Jeff, before we let you go, we always ask everybody to close with their picks to click and maybe not to click for the rest of the season. Who's a National League batter you like for the balance of the year? I like a couple. Jose Reyes, there's no reason why he's uh, hitting for low average that he is. I think that he's obtainable for a reasonable price right now, especially with uh, – you know, all the Marlins, the rumors surrounding all the other Marlins around, you know, there's that whole malaise. I think you can acquire him for maybe 90 cents on the dollar. I'll throw out Freddie Freeman as well. He's got the vision problems uh, dealt with uh, there. Actually traded for him on Twitter in an expert league with uh, Yahoo Scott Pianowski, so that was kind of fun. How about an American League batter you like? Ben Zobrist. There's no reason why he should be struggling the way he is. His, he's got his batting average in balls in play is 272 right now. His walk rate is actually up, if you can believe that, 16%. I mean, it's hard to go up from where he was. His contact rate is up. I, you know, I, I think that you, you should see good things from him the second half of the season. Looking at pitchers, how about a National Leaguer you wouldn't mind adding? Uh, you know what? I, I, I'm trying to in this in this case here. I'm probably looking for guys that uh, haven't quite delivered what we've been expecting. I'm not going to say Tim Lincecum though. Okay. I, I, he's coming off that great outing against Houston. I get that, but I probably I'm probably steering clear of him. I would look instead. I go after Anibal Sanchez a little bit. He got the win on, on Tuesday night. It wasn't great, but uh, he he had gone and gone through a rough patch. I believe in the talent here, though, and I think this is he's gone 195 plus innings each of the last two years. I still think there's a buying opportunity with him. Yeah, I hear what you're saying about Linscombe because uh, not many people know this, but my grandma pitched pretty well against them last week. Uh, how about an American League pitcher you like for the? The best thing is she's got uh, you know all the all those different sort of pitches there. The uh, you know the the sidearm 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 pitches there. Uh, you know the spoon pitch, all those. That's right, and she throws a mean spitball because of the dentures. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, how about an, Amer- <laughs> an American League pitcher you like for the rest of the year? Um, I like John Lester. I, I don't think that uh, he, he's. I, I think that people are kind of afraid of him. I think you know the strikeout rate has been down a little bit. I don't see any health problems though. I don't see any velocity decline. I think he's going to be a guy that will benefit from getting everybody back in that lineup behind him a little bit. I think it, you know he'll probably get a little bit of better defense behind him too. So I think he's a guy that could be a elite that you're going to get back. In fact, if you look at him, his walk rate's down a full walk from last year. He went from 3-5 to 2-5. K-Ray's gone down with him, but I do think there's there's a lot to be optimistic about with him. Bab up against is 337 so far. I know within a course of one season it doesn't always correct, but I think there's a good chance it does for him. Maybe another one of those guys that they've encouraged to cut down on the strikeouts in order to uh, get the weaker contact and not quite working yet. Uh, let's flip the coin and say guys you don't like for the rest of the season, starting with a National League hitter. National League hitter, um, I think you are at absolute peak value on Melky Cabrera right now. Uh, I, I, it's not like I think he'll be horrible down the stretch, but his value is so tied to his batting average, and 
I really just don't think he's going to hit, you know, I think he could hit 270 the rest of the way. I don't think he's a 353 hitter. And again, you, I know Babbitt can be a clutch sometimes, but 395 is really high. I think there's a good good chance of him declining in the second half. And on the American League side, a hitter you don't like? A couple guys that uh, probably steering clear of a little bit there. Um, I would say that uh, Mike Avilas is one guy that I think you've gotten the absolute max out of so far. I know the decline's already started, so that's kind of cheating a little bit there. That's probably not a good one. Let me think of someone a little bit better. Um, sure. I would say that another guy you probably want to try to, uh, that you might want to sell off a little bit there. Is a guy that I like him. I think in the long term, as a keeper, he might be all right. But Alcides Escobar, again, hitting three eleven, uh, so much of his value is tied in his average. He's not going to get you a whole lot of power, um, and for, you know, he's gotten you a lot of stolen bases. So at least he can help you a little bit. But I think you've gotten absolute max value of him. I tried to try to sell him off if he could. Yeah, I'm with you on Alcides Escobar. Uh, how about a pitcher from the National League, a guy you don't like? You know what? I'm not going to, you know, a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of people say Ryan Vogel's song. I'm not going to steer you clear of him. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of sort of a believer in him. So instead, let's go with uh, Edwin Jackson. And I hate doing this because this is my own team. Uh, I have him in the NFBC, and he's already starting to fall off a little bit. Uh, I'm concerned a little bit about him uh, over the second half. I think that uh, it could, it could get a little bit ugly there. And finally, an American League pitcher that you uh, don't like. I'm gonna go with uh, a couple of closers here. I think Chris Perez is, you know, starting to show. You know, at that last game before the All Star break was a nice little added touch there because he blew my own. I have him in one league, and he blew my starters uh, win in Zach McAllister. I think he's a guy that could fall off a little bit. The strikeout rate's up this year, though. There's some positive things about him, but I don't think the Indians are going to win nearly as much as they do. You look at them; they have a negative run differential. I think it's going to. I think they're going to decline over the second half, and I think his save opportunities will decline with that there. So. I'll say sell off in Chris Perez right now. All right, Jeff Erickson, thanks very much for doing this. Uh, let our listeners know how they can find out more about what you're thinking and what you're writing and what you're talking about. All over the place, uh, rotowire.com. Uh, if you're not already subscribed, you want to get a taste of the site, go to rotowire.com slash free. It's a free 10-day trial, no credit card or anything like that. You get access to not just our baseball stuff, but everything. So if you're doing, you're making a stretch run in baseball, get ready for your football draft too. You can check out everything on the site with that 10-day trial. I'm on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. And, of course, I'm on SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Uh, we're on from 11 to 2 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. I'll be off for like the next 10 days or so, but when I come back, I'm usually on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, so you can catch me then. And for people who think you have to have a satellite receiver and the, the radio and all the rest of that stuff for SiriusXM, you don't anymore. You can do it online, so just That's go to right. Sirius.com. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a cave to reality there. That you know, a lot of people they listen to their uh, live streaming radio or their podcast or their MLB.com package via online. So yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, however you like to listen, hopefully you can check it us check us out there. Okay, Jeff, thanks very much for talking with us. Maybe catch up with you again later on this year. Sounds like a plan, Patrick. Thanks for having me on as always. All right, that's Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com and SiriusXM Satellite Radio, also online, as I just said. And when we come back, we'll have our regular commentaries. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. And the pitch. Swung on in a high drive center field. Jones is going back. He turns. He looks. And that ball is history. Josh Hamilton has hit his fourth home run of the ball game. All of them two-run shots. Eight RBIs for Hamilton. And four home runs. Baseball HQ Radio.
Uh, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt here. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. Matt Beagle is on deck with the Market Pulse. And BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is in the hole with Master Notes and leading off the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com Minor League expert Rob Gordon telling us about Arizona outfield prospect Alfredo Marte. The Arizona Diamondbacks' Alfredo Marte doesn't get much attention, but that should change soon as he is in the midst of a very impressive breakout season. Marte is a 23-year-old outfielder from the Dominican Republic who has impressive physical tools but just was never able to put everything together. He showed plus raw power in batting practice, but it didn't translate well to game action. While 2012 has been a very different story, Marte has been much more selective at the plate and through 78 games is hitting 305 with a 382 on on-base percentage and a very impressive 598 slugging percentage. He has 20 doubles and a career-high 17 home runs with 23 walks and 47 strikeouts and 249 at-bats. Defensively, Marte has good range, but it's really nothing more than an average to fringe defender with a below average speed. Marte's offensive output in 2012 has earned him a spot in the world squad for the Futures game and is beginning to make people sit up and take notice. Marte was suspended for 50 games for using performance-enhancing drugs at the start of the 2011 season, so his newfound power has to be greeted with at least a bit of skepticism. Prior to this year, Marte's career high in home runs came in 2010 when he hit nine long balls in the hitter-friendly Cal. Still, a power-hitting outfielder with solid plate discipline who can hit for average is a valuable commodity, especially when it comes from an unexpected source. The verdict is certainly still out on Alfredo Marte, but he will be an interesting player to watch over the course of the rest of the season. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and Colby Garropy have reports and updates on organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Jeremy's call-ups reports this week have looked at Toronto outfielder Anthony Goes, Dodger outfielder Stephen Fife. St. Louis right-hander Trevor Rosenthal, and potential closer Jan Marinez in the White Sox organization. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now the market pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about instinct versus evidence, finding the second-half bargains. When I came up with some second-half targets for USA Today's Sports Weekly this past week, Two names I instantly focused on were Carlos Santana and Desmond Jennings. Instinctively, I knew they were good players who have some proven success and are likely to jump back in the second half. But when I looked at the evidence, I couldn't see the underlying skills to justify my instinct. There were more players out there who had the same type of profile but had the evidence, the statistical evidence, to back up the rebound. For example, Jay Bruce has increased his home run total each of the past three years. He's maintained his control of the strike zone and hit more balls, medium or hard, thus reducing his softly hit balls. The same thing can be said for Chris Young, who also throws in an unlucky batting average of balls in play or hit rate to match his skills. When I see two guys like this with skills that I can prove that are consistent through the first half, just unlucky surface stats, they're much less likely to come through than those who I just rely on my instinct that, hey, this is a good young player who should bounce back. As you're targeting buy-low candidates, make sure you distinguish between the instinct you have 
versus the evidence using the tools provided at Baseball HQ to determine the ideal trade targets. With a market pulse for Baseball HQ, I'm Matt Beagle. Matt Beagle's columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear regularly at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about how to stay engaged at this time of the season. Woody Allen once said, 80% of success is just showing up. You might say the same thing about winning at fantasy baseball. This is not an easy game to play. Not only do you have to show up, but you have to show up for six months. By this point in the season, showing up has become more of a chore, especially if it looks like you are out of the race. But looks can be deceiving. And the summer months bring a ton of new distractions. Vacations, football training camps, vacations. But these should not be considered distractions. These all should be considered opportunities. For those owners who are still showing up regularly, this can become the prime time to capitalize. Point one. Earlier this week on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, a listener called in and complained that talk had shifted significantly to football. DJ Adam Ronis explained that July 15th is the date when most fantasy leaguers start shifting their attention to football. Sirius XM decided to accommodate by moving to a 50-50 split of baseball and football content. This is good news for you. In all likelihood, several of the other owners in your fantasy baseball league are probably turning their attention to football. The more they are distracted by the shiny new NFL season ahead of them, the less likely they are going to be fully in tune with what's going on in baseball. Your best tactic right now would be to feed this. Talk football with them. All the time. Fill their heads with all the wide receivers that will get overdrafted this year. Debate the pros and cons of selecting Michael Vick in the first round. Oh, and by the way, would you trade me Casey Jansen for Mike Carp? It's a minor deal. I just need another pitcher, and Sergio Santos is coming back in a few weeks anyway. He's not. But that was a tidbit that might have been lost in this week's football ramp-up. Point two. I'm not a proponent of taking advantage of people when they're on vacation, but heck, people do go on vacation this time of year. And fantasy baseball never stops. Hey, I'm sorry if you're on the beach during the transaction deadline and missed out on fabbing bench sheets. No, we're we're not going to change the rules to accommodate your tan. Perhaps the most important point of all this is, if you're 20 points out, you're probably still in it. Frankly, any owner who is less than 30 points out and bags the season is just more good news for you. I've seen teams close 40-point gaps this late. Heck, I was 45 points out at the All-Star break during the season in which the book Fantasyland was written. I ended up in second place, just 8 points out. So we can't stop showing up. We need to maintain focus on the goal while others are distracted. This is potentially a prime time to capitalize. A prime time to make a move in the standings now. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler writes a weekly column every Friday at BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about 
part three of his Appalachian Odyssey. Ron also has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 Eastern on usatoday.com, and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at baseballhq.com. You can get Ron's master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to baseballhq.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also has his master notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of July the 21st. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 27 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and give our show five stars. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with Jeff Erickson of rotowire.com and SiriusXM. Jeff's one of the great guys in the fantasy baseball business, and it's got a lot of great guys. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, our League Watch analysts, Harold Nichols and Matt Beagle. Matt was also our Market Pulse columnist this week. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon, and our Master Notes commentator, BaseballHQ.com publisher, Ron Chandler. We have some really great features this week at BaseballHQ.com. Watch for Matt Cedarholm's rotisserie column about easy money, plus our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and more. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide appears every Tuesday. Last week I wrote about you should sell Mike Trout. We got a lot of comments about that. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed is at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.